Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today and hope you are enjoying this lovely new 2024, making the best of it. You know, um, we just love that you are choosing to spend some time with us and we welcome back. This morning, uh, to break some stuff down for us, the warrior princess herself, immigration attorney Nadine Brown. Good morning, ma'am, and Happy New Year. How are you? Good morning. Happy New Year, and I'm still blessed and highly favored. Amen to that. I am, too. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time out. How was your holiday? It was wonderful. Thank you. Good. Quiet. Good. Family, family is all right. Family go out and doing family well. Family is good. Family's healthy. So good. We are blessed. Glad to hear that. Yes. All right. Where to begin? Where to begin? Um, I wanted to talk about it because I know you know it's in the news. We're hearing it everywhere. But I needed to get some answers from you because we get like you know, a few minutes here and there and snippets and stuff. And I know we're still not going to have enough time on this show, but I want to break some stuff down. And what we're talking about is uh, the border crisis. We're talking about immigration issues. So I want to put the number out there for those of you that are listening. Uh, it's 516-387-1944 because this is the time to get some questions answered that you can't ask when they give you those two or three minutes on the news. And unfortunately, that's probably where a lot where a lot of us are getting our information. And unfortunately, because of political perspective, and this is an election year, so that's why this is important, uh, some of the information is getting skewed. So my first question to you, Nadine, is what should the general public really know in terms of the basics with regards to the border crisis and immigration issues? I think not just the border crisis, but in general, when it comes to the law, it is a many-layered, faceted, multidimensional you know, part of our lives that a lot of people, until our lives personally intersect, we don't fully understand and grasp the gravity or the complexity of. So when it comes to the southern border crisis, the United States is a huge landmass, so we need to understand that we're not talking about one state of Texas, which may be highlighted in the news because of what their governor um, Abbott is doing, but there's Arizona, New Mexico, and California. Um, so we have to be mindful that it's not just you know one state, and it could be um, you know a multitude of states and what they're doing. Uh, what the Border Patrol is doing, uh, and where people are coming from. So the the southern border crisis is um, a complex issue because of the political nature, the, you know, hot potato issue that it is because it's such a a divisive uh, issue when it comes to immigration. People have their own perspectives based on where they were born, where they're from, and their own experiences. Um, So what people need to understand is that it's a complicated issue. Um, We may see, you know, brown and black people coming across, but there's people out of desperation coming from Eastern Europe as well. I mean, people who get frustrated with the natural order of things, which is paperwork, which is process, which is fees, that are still coming from the Ukraine who may try to get in because they were, you know, in Afghanistan or Syria or Yemen or any 
a war-torn country or a place of uh, experiencing natural disaster, um, Haiti even. So a lot of people come through the southern border because they think it's very porous and it may be an easier route than having to go through an attorney or go through a consular post or U.S. embassy, go through the paperwork. But it is a very... Um, can be a traumatic experience for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. So the southern border crisis is multifaceted. It's families being torn apart. It's people um, in tent cities outside the U.S. or at the land crossings trying to get in, trying to be processed, trying to get interviews, being detained in often you know private facilities. Um, so it's multifaceted. It is complicated. It's not just a you know, soundbite on, you know, CNN or MSNBC or even Fox News. It's not a a 30-second, you know, video clip of hordes of people trying to get through and, oh, my gosh, there's so much chaos. There is chaos, but it's so many dimensions and aspects of it that really need to be unpacked, teased apart, and people need to understand that at the end of the day, each and every person coming across the border has a story and has a reason. Uh, some of it is legitimate. Um, some of it may not be, but, you know, we can't know until they are vetted or they're screened or they're processed. In your opinion, what is the number one thing that is complicating this entire situation? And also on the other side, what would be the number one thing that would alleviate or help or improve the situation? I think if there was um, coherence in policy, um, if we did not politicize people's lives or the decision-making process, um, and I think if we were reasonable on both sides moving forward, we could probably get some comprehensive immigration reform. You have competing interests. And, you know, we often have these stakeholder meetings and everybody has a reason or a motivation why they do things, why they make the choices that they do. For a lot of our Congress people, it's what their constituents at home um, state. It's what their, you know, faith may uh, provide or inform. Um, but ultimately, it's can we move forward? I believe that we can, but we need to be level-headed. We need to be pragmatic. We also need to be reasonable in understanding why people are coming, how they're coming, and how we can move forward. There's been, you know, a multitude of um, avenues or projects or or ways that we've tried to ameliorate, but it's it's been haphazard and and kind of half-hearted because there's such an impetus against immigration just because there's a visceral response to, you know, immigrants coming, but people don't understand what that means and what it does for our economy or for our society as a whole. They're just looking at, you know, one, you know, pinpoint in time um, and not understanding. But I think if our Congress people were able to get get it together and then implement what um, Department of Homeland Security you know, and Customs and Border Patrol through Department of Homeland Security could do, um, then that would help a lot because people need to understand that at the end of the day, it is our rules, it is our policies and our regulations that mandate how people are treated, where they go, what they do uh, once they get here, um, and are also, you know, diplomatic efforts uh, that, that move us forward. But it's everything working in concert. And I think we're extremely disjointed and and um, just chaotic in how we make decisions as a nation uh, and even in our state. All right. So, uh, unfortunately, this is entrenched in politics in some way. It, it is an election year. What kind of questions should the public be asking uh, the existing uh, elected officials and the in the ones that are coming up um, later this year, you know when when they they have these town halls, when they have you know all of these opportunities for people to ask questions, what are the questions that should be asked? Well, you know it's someone's position on you know immigration workers. 
um, and that could be skilled or unskilled workers. It may be family reunification. What is their opinion or what policies are they going to implement uh, to make family reunification a, you know, a, a progressive and possible thing? Um, not just, you know, individual uh, uh, nationals from specific countries that have an agenda or have an issue with they're from Venezuela because that country is still um, unsettled. If it's from Colombia, if it's from Haiti, it's from Guatemala, Nicaragua, Honduras, um, all of the people that we see. So I, I guess it's whoever's asking the question, you need to be clear about what you're asking your representative to respond to, um, why you're asking the question, you know, what is your motivation for asking the question. So for different people, it will be different things. For some people, if you're a business owner, it's going to be, you know, who can I employ and for how long? Is it going to be, you know, skilled labor and what's the process? What's the, the length of time it's going to take? Because it's it's such a comprehensive thing and it's going to be different things for different people. But if you're having a town hall and it's you know, your issue is about family reunification and how can I get my relative here or how can I get, you know, my neighbor a job um, because they seem to be struggling or they, they're unemployed, uh, then those are the questions that you need to ask, but be prepared for the answer. It may be that there's nothing that they can do because they have other priorities. Um, you know, for example, we're trying to pass the, you know, aid for Ukraine and Israel, and that has been hamstrung by the immigration debate. Um, so people are trying to partner or marry these two issues, and it may not be workable. It's not reasonable. So for a town hall meeting, for you know any platform or, or position that someone has, it's make sure you understand why you're asking the question, to whom you're asking the question, because you may not like the response. Um, if it's somebody that has been noted to be anti-immigrant across the board, except for when it comes to, you know, businesses and, yes, skilled labor, um, then you may get a different response than if it's, you know, an agricultural worker who's, you know, picking tomatoes and strawberries, and why should we let those people in? Um, so, you know, to, to answer your question, it's it's a complicated issue, and the lawyer answer, it, it depends on who's asking you know, what of whom. I'm, basically, we we are a nation of immigrants. Um, I mean, the majority of the people that are here, their ancestors came from somewhere else. Um, and during this time, there wasn't necessarily, we didn't have TV. We didn't have radio for the most part. So we didn't have coverage of people, you know, we didn't have these visuals of people coming into the country. How much of an impact does that make in terms of, of how people feel uh, about the issues? I'm not sure I understand your question. I mean, obviously the, the visual is just like with, you know, the protests that erupted in, in 2020 um, with, you know, police violence and police brutality, um, you know, people pushing back. It's it's the you know the women's march because of things that were happening. And and once we know that there are other people that feel the same way that we do, or we see the the egregious atrocities uh, in in picture live and present, or somebody you know on the scene with a news camera, then it kind of moves us to react, um, mostly emotionally. Uh, so it's it's trying to get a reaction or a response from us that is more uh, emotive and, and visceral than it is contemplative. And let me think about what it is that I'm seeing, the source um, of it. So I think that it, it plays a, a, a big role, especially now in the news cycles, with what people believe, what people think, what people think they should do or what their representatives should do. Because the pictures from you know, 2016, 2017, throughout the Trump administration of babies in cages, that was just not a good optic. It's like, oh, my God, what kind of people are we? Um, so that didn't mm -hmm. bode well. When you see, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the beating of and, you know, the, the killing of, of people by uh, police officers that, you know, either lost their sense of humanity um, or just didn't understand, you know, their, the police policies, um, then we say, oh, my gosh, what kind of people are we, and this is just not acceptable. So I think it, it plays a lot into 
what we want to see, which is not the violence, not the depravity, not the inhumanity um, that we're witnessing. And so I think it, it's, it's a, it can be a good thing. I mean, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord are called according to his purpose, but that does not mean that all things are good. But we can use it as a motivation and as a springboard to say, how can we be better? And I think that's what, you know, the social media platforms, the news cycle um, uh, tidbits are to help us think through a problem rather than just viscerally respond or emotionally react. Okay. The reason I ask that is because, you know, I'm thinking probably – before we had um, media coverage of of these type of issues, people you didn't know necessarily that people were crossing into your country. You know, all of a sudden you just kind of saw them. They were there. They showed up, and you know, people had to kind of, I think, for the most part, accept that these people were in your country. As long as they weren't causing harm, you know, then then it was fine. You know, now it's just that's that, and that's just my opinion. You know, and that's why I asked the question: What you know, what? How do you feel uh, media coverage of, of impacts how we feel about these things? Because I, I, part of me says, a part of me, I, I agree with you though on what you said, but there's a part of me that says that if there was not media coverage, people would be here and. Normally, I would think, it, like I said, if it wasn't somebody that you were suspicious of, that you thought, you know, were, was in need of help, your automatic instinct would be to help the people. So that that was one of I, one of the reasons I asked I, that question. I don't know that's necessarily true because we've always been shaped by the news media, whether it was in print. Um, or whether it was on, you know, television. So it's like the three major networks, you know, had their nightly news. I mean, many of us grew up on, you know, Tom Brokaw or like PBS NewsHour um, or, you know, reading the um, uh, Wall Street Journal or New York Times, but in print rather than digital media. So I think we right. were still shaped, but not as not having a more immediate response um, or not being able to, you know, share and post and repost or tweet and retweet um, and have an opinion based on sometimes, you know, a, a short clip meme or reel. Um, but I think that what has happened now with the digital age is that most of the information in our thought process has become, you know, more immediate, less complex and thinking things through um, and understanding the backstory and the history of how we got to where we are. Um, whereas with a paper or a news magazine, you know, National Geographic, for example, we can read an in-depth analysis um, and mm-hmm. there's, you know, citations and, and historical context that, that can be brought forth. Uh, so that I think we've always been shaped by news and what we've read or what we've heard, um, but experientially that is what makes the difference. So we've always known that immigrants were here. Um, if mm-hmm. you go to New York City and you see, you know, the glorious lady uh, with the torch, then we know the Statue of Liberty is a symbol, um, iconic symbol worldwide, just like Mickey Mouse is. Um, so mm-hmm. there's not a person on the globe who doesn't know Mickey Mouse unless you're, you know, somewhere cut off from, uh, the modern trappings of, you know, news or telephones or, um, you know, any kind of outlet. Uh, but I think that, you know, to your point, that it was different, but not as immediate and not as uh, emotional as we have become. We are here with immigration attorney Nadine Brown. And if you have questions or comments, please. The number is 516-387-1944. We're going to take a quick break. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. At Vintage Labs Collection, we are a multifaceted team of medical professionals dedicated to delivering the best quality products to patients. Our mission is to deliver the best supplement and patient outcomes in healthcare environments and consumer homes. Chat with our consulting pharmacists by visiting our website at www. 
VintageLabsCollection.com. Supplements are not highly regulated, but Vintage Labs holds the standards higher than most. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Hope you are well. We are back with immigration attorney Nadine Brown. And if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. And so um, I, I want to find out basically uh, what is, do you think there is a miscommunication now going on with, for example, uh, the latest thing is that uh, the people who are crossing over are being bused to cities just or, or suburbs or whatever just outside of the main sanctuary cities. Um, in, in the case, for example, in, in New York where they said, okay, you need to give X amount of uh, advance notice so we can prepare or, or whatever, and um, instead they're not sending them directly to New York but um, other nearby uh, cities or suburbs. Yeah, in a circuitous route. Um, yeah, you know, it's trying to be evasive and deceptive. Um, if New York City's, you know, leadership – um, puts out new policy and regulations to the transit authority and the, you know, the the bus depots that they need to to register or provide a manifest, you know, at least 32 hours in advance. Um, what does that mean, and how can we evade that if we're trying to be, you know, sneaky and underhanded uh, and route them to New Jersey or to Connecticut or somewhere else, but still, um, you know, provide them transport into the city, but from a local uh, location or regional location, um, it's it's still a political stunt, you know. And, and what is happening is that you know there are people who are coming in. There was a surge in December uh, because people are coming to reunite with families or they want to be here for Christmas. Whatever the circumstances or motivation of each individual that is trying to get across the border is, a lot of times only God knows. Are the people who are screening at the borders, and then to have you know governors or, or actors in a particular state, you know, buy bus tickets, whether it's Greyhound or Megabus or Redbus or whatever uh, transportation outfit there is to uh, transfer them across state lines uh, to New Jersey or any other surrounding place to get them to New York City or or to uh, close to a sanctuary city where there are Democratic mayors or Democratic governors. Um, to me, it's 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 just a nefarious act. You know, people who have ill will, they're not trying to help, but the immigrants are none the wiser because they've been given false information. And a lot of times, just like everybody else, we rely a lot on what people tell us, the information that we're giving. Sometimes we don't question the source um, because it looks good. If somebody gives you, you know, a, it's free Sometimes it's like, well, we don't even question the gift horse. We're just like, let's take it and run, especially if we're desperate or we're in need. Um, so we just figure if you're from the immigrant's perspective, we get a, a bus ride and they're telling you you're going to New York City, but they didn't tell you how long it's going to take to get there or what you're going to do when you get there or that you have to take a transfer or another plane or another bus or take the train into the city, then you're just going to you know, take it and run. Or if you have a minimal understanding of English and the translator uh, or interpreter is not explaining to you everything that you need to know, then maybe you just take it and run. Um, so I, I, I think it's, it's a complicated issue, but the people who are – um, behind the scheme, I think is it's problematic, it's troubling, and it's you know it's definitely not a good thing. 
All right. So um, what what should be happening in terms of um, whenever they get to – and you kind of – you don't know whether it's the final destination or or not – what if you have if there are family or friends in a particular location and they are looking out for these people to come? What should they be advising um, the people that are coming in? Um, should they advise them to seek out an attorney? Should they advise them to seek out uh, governmental services? What or or in, in some of these cases, I'm assuming that some of these people actually need to seek out medical facilities right away, correct? So a, a lot of times it has to do with communication, right? So if you don't have yeah. an electronic device, um, a smartphone, and you're not able to make a call or you don't have somebody's number, then it's just you're relying on your own instincts and your own knowledge about how to navigate a particular place. Um, and if you're in Florida and there's not really good public transportation, then it's going to become problematic. But if you've had contact with a family member, whether distant or more immediate, hopefully they're telling you, you know, where to go, where, what's a meeting point. It's just like in any, you know, emergency plan that you may have. Um, who do you contact? You know, where are your uh, papers that can get you the services that you need. And what a lot of people don't understand is that even if you're a new arrival, barring somebody that has been resettled through the Office of Refugee Resettlement or who has been processed overseas, and they have a network of organizations through refugee resettlement, you know, people are at the will and whim of who they come in contact with. Um, so if you mm-hmm. have a family member that has sponsored you uh, through the parole program, then it's to, you know, have immediate contact with them either by text or by phone so that they can pick you up and then provide you with the most basic needs, which is food and shelter first. Um, and then if you need immediate medical assistance, where do you go? And like everybody else here, um, you either have insurance or you don't. There are either community service centers that will provide you free services. Uh, for example, in Orlando, it may be you know, the Good Shepherd um, or some uh, local community clinics that will offer free services because they're not-for-profits and they're required to do that without asking certain information, although there's conflicting or contrary information that they're supposed to request identification and documentation. But you present to a clinic or a hospital, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be seen or get the services that you need. So it depends on, you know, what your needs are. Immediately it's it's uh, shelter and food and hopefully your relative, if you have one, uh, to contact or if you're coming through a detention facility and they release you on your own recognizance to a relative, they're going to pay for your passage across the United States or wherever uh, to get you transportation to the, your destination, um, hopefully. But for a lot of people, they don't have those mechanisms or those people in contact or a sponsor. Um, usually a financial sponsor or a sponsor is financial by nature to say that I will provide you room and board and for your medical care should you need it. Uh, so that's what sponsorship is. So when they implemented the parole program and they say that people are looking for sponsors, that's essentially what it is, that you're becoming a financial guarantor for another person that is not in your immediate household. So you need to have the ability to pay for a plane ticket or a bus fare to the destination for the relative and provide them with food and shelter. Um, and if they need to go to a clinic, then you're paying out of pocket because you can't extend your personal insurance coverage often to people who are not your dependents um, or have Social Security numbers. So that's where the the level of complication gets in. So you may get off a bus at the Greyhound station or get off a train station in, you know, New York or even in Maryland if you're headed to the D.C. area, um, and then you have to figure out what you're going to do, and, and the most immediate needs are those that can either be taken care of by a community center or a homeless shelter or a family member who knows that you're coming, hopefully, uh, and you've had contact with prior to your arrival. 
We are going to take a quick break. We are here with immigration attorney Nadine Brown, and if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. When we come back, I want to ask about DACA. I I haven't really heard a lot of discussion about that lately, so I want to talk to you about that. So, and I have a question for you guys. If um, uh, how would you react, or what would you do, or what would you think um, if you found out that uh, uh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph was trying to get here across the border? Uh, that just that kind of occurred to me while you know during the holidays. You know, what would, what would happen? What would you think? So think about that. You know, you, and you can comment on that as well. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faiths, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple, dignified cremation, Dodd's Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dodd's Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dodd's, dedicated to serving our families. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Good afternoon. Thank you for listening. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. We appreciate you taking the time out. We are here with uh, immigration attorney Nadine Brown. We are also appreciative of her time. She is always so gracious and and just has a lot to offer. We're always blessed to have her with us. So thank you again, Nadine. Um, so uh, DACA. I, I, my understanding is in September. That's the last thing I think I remember, or or saw that um, it was a, a federal judge had I guess again it's been going back and forth uh, declared it illegal. Um, so can you um, expand on that? What's the latest as far as you know? So what is troubling for a lot of people or unsettling is understanding how our legal process works. So if you have a federal judge um, that makes a decision, then it's generally across the board or across the nation that they've kind of pushed pause on the application or renewal process uh, for DACA recipients, which is um, deferred action for childhood arrivals. These were individuals who came to the United States as children brought here by their parents but were not processed or did not receive an entry permit um, at the time of their arrival. But they had gone through the uh, educational system, received a high school diploma or college degree, and now wanted some sort of status. So DACA was, you know, uh, Barack Obama's, uh, that administration's um, kind of response to how do we ameliorate this process of about 800,000 people who needed something, wanted to work, have contributed um, to our society in different ways or are well-meaning. And so they were able to apply uh, for a while. Sometimes it was halted because of the back and forth with the court process, which is, you know, anybody can bring a lawsuit at any time for any reason, and then it has to go through the review process to determine whether it's meritorious or it's frivolous um, or, you know, denied. Uh, so the the complicated mess that is our court system uh, is that it's it's on hold until, you know, somebody else brings um, another case or with the legislative process, which is a part of our due process mechanism, our Congress, which is our National Congress in D.C., makes a decision to make it law. That also can be reviewed through our Supreme Court um, through lawsuits and appeals, et cetera, et cetera. So there's this back and forth. But it's a part of the due process. It's a part of the checks and balances that we have um, and our system of accountability, right, because we want to make sure that things are constitutional, things are done reasonably, pragmatically, and for the greater good. 
um, but there are political agendas, there are undercurrents um, in in everything that we do, the decisions and the choices that people make, but it's um, on pause until further notice. Those people who have it, you know, can continue to use their work authorizations and whatnot. Um, the issue is, will I be able to renew? And it's just like with mm-hmm. a lot of the other temporary statuses that we have, which are done by executive orders or by regulations, um, which are just temporary fixes on a bigger problem that we have. And we have so many people that are here for different reasons, and ultimately they just want to have peace of mind and work authorization. So we may give them a temporary protective status because of what's going on in their country of, of national origin and give them work authorization for 18 months with with DACA recipients, it's usually for a 24-month period, and then it's time to renew. And then when you go to renew, is can I renew and submit my application, or, or I submit my application, will it be processed? Because a judge has said, you know, we can proceed with it or not. And and the constant issue is the legality of it, um, and how you know executive orders are are made, whether or not they're constitutional, and that's for the courts to review. So that's kind of the complicated mess that is our system, but it's for checks and balances and due process of every claim that is made um, on both sides. So a person that has temporary status in our country that is not a citizen, are they at risk when they or if they have to leave the country for any particular reason, are they at risk of not being able to get back into the country once they leave? So everyone who is not a U.S. citizen and has a travel document, which is a U.S. passport, whenever they're re-entering the United States, it's a request for readmission. So at any border crossing that is land or seaport or airport and you're a permanent resident or you have another status, it could be as a visitor or a student or TPS, generally you don't leave you're an asylee, you don't leave unless you have what is called an advanced parole or refugee travel document. Um, When you're re-entering, it is that specific individual's discretion at the airport, seaport, or land port to determine whether or not they should allow you in. So they will do a check to see if there are, one, any arrest warrants issued across the nation for you, uh, and then, Mm -hmm. two, if your documents are valid. so you you know if you have TPS then you're essentially saying that you know you can't really travel uh, and if you're an asylee you're also saying that you can't go back to your country of origin so those are things that people need to be uh, mindful of when they're even requesting an advanced parole travel document to re-enter after a brief travel abroad that's not to say that people can't live their lives and go on a vacation um, but you need to be careful and mindful where you're coming in. Um, some of the larger airports, you may have an officer who's having a bad day or may not look as closely um, to mm. your documents or may put you in secondary inspection because they want to, you know, interrogate or question you, which can be extremely uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, temporary status means temporary status. You can still be deported uh, for your actions while you're here. DACA recipients can still be re- deported. Um, you know, anyone who is not a U.S. citizen um, and has not renounced their citizenship can be deported. It just depends on the circumstances and the violations um, that are registered, depending on which authority, whether it's you know a, a local state police officer or um, through the, the federal court system. People don't understand or need to understand that being in the United States is a privilege. It's not a right. So we may be entitled to, even if you're a U.S. citizen, but I can guarantee you that if you commit certain acts um, that rise to the level of, you know, treason or espionage, you can have your citizenship revoked. Mm. And that's something. Wow. All right. So um, I want to ask about Canada and Mexico. And uh, there, I guess, I, I want to know basically what are and what, should be their roles in our issues with regards to border crossings um, and illegal immigration. Uh, can you what what can you tell me about that? What can you tell us about that? Well, I I could tell you that 
with um, Mexico, we're in talks as far as what to do with some of the tent communities and people that are passing through because um, during the last several years there was a momentum for uh, Mexico to, you know, deport people back to their countries of origin if they were passing through and had not asked or requested asylum there because a part of the asylum process is that if you pass through a third country, depending on the length of stay, then you need to have claimed asylum in that country as well. So I know that there's been ongoing talks uh, with Mexico about their policies for allowing migrants through those migrant caravans that were um, mar literally marching through um, uh, the country to get to the, the U.S. land borders. Uh, so there's been ongoing discussions and negotiations with their uh, screening process for allowing people in. Um, uh, it's still yet unresolved because there's, you know, dip diplomatic efforts, what's going on, you know, at the borders. Uh, Brownsville and El Paso. Um, with Canada, there's not been a lot of information. I mean, you know, they're a Western industrialized country just like we are, so they have a screening process as well uh, for immigrants that are coming across um, their airports, their seaports, and their land ports, um, people who've left the United States because it was not a successful application process or for whatever reason and decided to go to Canada. But um, there's just been, you know, a lot of, of discussion and talks, but nothing yet concrete. A lot of it has been diplomatic, and, and that takes time to kind of massage through the policies and regulations. We still have these uh, treaties with them as far as nationals from those specific countries coming in and under what circumstances they can. We have the TN visa. Um, but outside of that, in trying to stem the tide of individuals coming through, they have their own screening processes for for immigrants from other countries. Okay. I, I also would like to kind of get, uh, I guess, a definition um, and when the criteria is applied with regards to asylum. Um, there are a lot of people across the world right now. The, the, the wars that are being highlighted right now are the ones um, in Ukraine and Russia, and then Israel and Hamas. Um, so you probably are likely to see, I would think, some people that are trying to get away from those particular situations in those war-torn areas. Um, but there's other situations that are going on in other places um, uh, in, in South America, for example, where, where people are not feeling safe and trying to get here too, and then um, other places as well. I'm just what I'm curious about is what is the criteria for seeking asylum in the United States, and are, in your opinion, is is the criteria uh, is the consideration applied equally across the board in all of the different countries or all of the different peoples that are seeking asylum here? So it goes back to our system of due process. It's everyone has a right to their due process. And what exactly does that mean? That means that you're screened individually, so you have the, the rules, which essentially says for asylees or people who want to become asylees, that means that you've been granted asylum status that you either have been persecuted in your country of origin um, by, you know, actors who you can identify and that the state has acquiesced. I mean, big legal words, right? So essentially breaking it down, it just means that you've either been harmed or experienced the threat of harm um, or would experience the threat of harm if you were returned to your country of origin by people that you can that you know or who know you, and that the police or government authorities did nothing to help you. Um, and so, but it's on an individual basis. So that's you know the the basis of the law is can you prove your case? And you as the applicant have the burden because that's what due process is. Is that yeah we'll give you asylum status. We could we say that you are a refugee because you left your country. Yeah we may see it in the news but it's your burden to show how you specifically have been affected or impacted. Um, and so I can give you examples of individuals, whether you're coming 
from Ukraine because everybody knows that that's what's going on. But whether it was Syria, Yemen, you know, Haiti, um, Colombia, Venezuela, each individual who gets to a land port, a seaport, or an airport and asks for asylum, that's essentially what they're saying to the officer that they encounter, that, hey, I either was threatened, you know, somebody in my immediate family was killed, and you have to show the connection, whether it's your verbal testimony or written documentation, death certificates, translated into English, um, in addition to, you know, third-party corroborating information. So it can be country reports. It could be news reports, credible news reports, because we're not, you know, thinking about people just making stuff up. But if it's from a news source, you know, Human Rights Watch, um, Reuters, uh, UPI, you know, United Press International, um, you know, something that you've seen on the news, but also how it, it specifically is connected to you, police reports, uh, hospital reports, clinical reports, if you were shot by, you know, narco-traffickers on your way or somebody was kidnapped and there's a report of it, that will help your story because a lot of times it's the credibility, does it make sense? Um, but there's the overarching rules and then applying to each specific individual that is coming in and that requires manpower to screen and to process. Um, and not everybody is able to articulate the things that have happened to them. If you've been deeply traumatized, if you were kidnapped, if you were raped, if somebody you know died in front of you, um, those are things that sometimes it, it, it takes a lot of therapy or the ability to articulate to somebody um, who you're not very trusting of that these are the things that happen and this is why you need um, uh, asylum or, or refuge in the United States. And it's also a process. So while you're waiting for that interview, you may have like an initial screening of an hour or two um, at a uh, you know, Customs and Border Protection um, office, it may be delayed where they parole you in but then tell you that you need to come on a different date and you need to make sure you have transportation, you're there on time, and that you have your um, information correct in your documentation because you also have to prove your nationality. A lot of times if you're just fleeing for your life, you may not have your birth certificate or a passport issued by a governmental authority um, or the translation of the document. So that's why there's a network here of hopefully qualified individuals that can provide the translations for your documents, that can provide you with good legal advice or counsel, um, whether it's a community-based organization or an actual attorney, usually for fees, some pro bono um, charitable organizations. But, you know, applying for asylum is a, on an individualized basis based on a, you know, treaty law across industrialized countries to help individuals who are fleeing their countries of origins for specific acts that have happened to them, not just, you know, war and natural disaster. Yes, those are, those are kind of ameliorated through temporary protected status or uh, policies that the U.S. government has issued, but for asylum claims um, from specific individuals, it requires specific screening, a written application, and an articulation that meets the standards of I've been harmed, um, or there's a threat of harm by identifiable individuals. You can't just, you know, somebody knocked on my door and I hid or something like that. You have to know why, and there has to be a connection between the violence and the reasons for the violence. So the reason could be your political activism. It could be your um, social membership in a particular group, and that's been very uh, nebulous in trying to identify what that means. It could be sexual orientation. It could be. It has to be narrowly defined. It could be, you know, uh, domestic violence uh, a victim, um, but it can't be generalized. It has to be very specific to the individual who's asking for it, and it has to be um, articulated in such a way that it meets the requirements of the law in order to be granted. And there's an interview process uh, that happens after you have written an application supporting your claim or statement. We're going to take a quick break. We're here with immigration attorney Nadine Brown of law offices of Nadine A. Brown. Uh, she is located in Winter Springs, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. And if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. When we come back, my question is going to be, 
is there enough out there? Are the resources available? Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that when we come back. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We will be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs, owner and funeral director at Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community with two generations of family funeral service. With the recent addition of my son Brandon, we are here to take care of the needs of Central and West Orlando. From simple cremation to a full burial, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here to help you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs dedicated to serving our families. Hi, I'm Tim Garrison. Uh, You may know me as Timmy G. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's been two decades, but I want you to know I'm back in the Arglatex, and I've got a mix of music that can help you relax and chill out. It's smooth. It's relaxing. It's chill out jazz. The soulful mix of smooth jazz, soul, and smooth R&B. So join me every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. to midnight, on KHAM Radio. Are you chilling? Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Just a little question for thought. If Jesus, Mary, and Joseph are crossing over, you know, would you help them? Would it be okay if they came? You know, what what... What would you think? Anyway, back here with Attorney Nadine Brown. And, Nadine, I wanted to ask you, are there enough resources, meaning you talk about the charitable organizations that are are assisting uh, people who are are coming over and and trying to kind of get their footing and and trying to get, you know, a, a grasp on what they should do and how they should proceed. Um, are there enough of those organizations? Are there enough attorneys like you to get the job done? Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts? That's a good question. And before I would say that there's probably a, a, a decent network, um, I don't know what the numbers and I don't know that people know where to go or the resources that are available because, again, it's very haphazard. And if you're in a um, a, mind, a frame of mind or mindset that let me just get in and then figure things out as I get here, um, people just may not know what's available where. So I I have a, a perspective that there's enough to go around if you know where to look. Um, there are people like myself who've been immigration attorneys for quite some time. We do offer some pro bono services, but like everybody else, we need to generate income in order to maintain our practices. Um, there are enough community-based organizations that rely on donations um, and grants from larger uh, network of organizations like the United Way. Um, but you know, it just depends on who's coming where. Um, or from where, uh, and what services they need. So I don't know that there is enough. We don't always have a a full grasp of the specific numbers. We have generalized ideas based on what Customs and Border Protection report, Um, people who have been apprehended or who have been processed, and there's, you know, a lot of people who haven't been. Um, But I would hope that people would know where to find reputable, trustworthy organizations and people uh, willing to assist and willing to help. And there's also a lot of people who are not willing to assist because it's not their problem or why should it be? Um, you know, America can be a very inhospitable place uh, depending on who you are, where you are, and at what time you present. Um, so I, I would hope that we would be a little bit more gracious and that there are community-based organizations, whether it's faith-based or just people out of the you know goodwill and good nature to provide some of the basic needs and also, um, uh, you know, document preparation assistance. But I I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, One of the reasons I wanted to put that out there, too, especially, you know, now we're beginning 2024, and in in a few months we're going to have students graduating uh, and trying to make decisions in terms of fields to go into, 
So one of the reasons I kind of wanted to put that out there too is like, hey, you know, this may be, you know, an area where there's a great need and you might be able to provide your time, talent, and treasure in this particular area, you know, as a, you know, student looking for a, a future career. So wanted to kind of throw that out there. And also too, you know, in the season of, of giving, we are still in Christmas, y'all, for <laughs> I know for some of you anyway, um, in my church, we're still in Christmas. Uh, and and uh, there's, there's a, you know, a lot of need out there, like you say, you know, and it's, a lot of times it's maybe uh, knowing what direction to go into. So it may just be a matter of if you, you know, know something, you have information that you want to share or provide, you know, or, or you have uh, something, maybe an event that you want to hold to do some fundraising to help some of these uh services like a, for for example I know Catholic Charities is one of those organizations that provides some help and I know there's a lot of people who receive uh services from Catholic Charities that might be one of the, the uh organizations that you want to to do to serve I mean to help in some way whether or not it's you know service of your time or your talent or service or, or donation that you want to make so I just wanted to you know that's one of the reasons I wanted to kind of tap into that too as well so, in so we're in January 2024. What what would you like to see when by the time we reached December 2024 with regards to these issues? I would hope that we could get together as far as across the aisle with both political parties and make some um, pragmatic, practical, and reasonable. Uh, legislation moving forward to assist uh, immigrants. If we think that everybody's in our enemy and we think that everybody's coming here under fraudulent and pretense um, because we we don't have good motives to begin with, then that's going to be problematic. If you're always um, operating from a perspective of, you know, ill will and ill content, then I think that's going to shape how you make decisions. And we need to move past that. And you know, not everybody is your enemy. Um, so I think that hopefully, you know, December 2024, um, past the elections, we would have gained some ground as far as civility, which is something that is lacking um, both mm-hmm. in personal interactions um, with people and in our Congress. Um, I think it's important um, in our branches of government that we have civility uh, and accountability to one another as far as mutual respect and treating people with dignity. That's always been I guess my issue is how we approach individuals, and and you can have ill will and and you know different motivations, but at the end of the day, we're here to kind of be better people. So hopefully by you know, next year, we will be better people. Definitely. The one thing I I, I really love about you, Nadine, is that you're you're tough, you're astute, you're tough. But you're you're compassionate throughout this whole thing, which I think is is very very key right now. Is just people that are that are thoughtful and compassionate in terms of how they deal with people, even when you have to be you know a, a, a tough fighter in, in the thick of all of this. So uh, we appreciate that about you, Nadine. Thank you so much. So well, thank you. Um, yeah, thank I, you for having me. <laughs> and I'm sure we're going to ask you to come back sometime in the near future. So, uh, you know, thank you, and we'll talk soon. Be blessed. Thank you so much. And Happy thank- New Year. Happy New Year. And thank you all for listening. This has been G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. God willing, talk with you tomorrow. Be blessed, be safe, and please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care. Make it all right.
God is able. God is able. Whatever you need. Whatever you need. He'll supply. He'll supply. Whatever is broken. Whatever is broken. He can fix it. He can fix it. No need to worry. No need to worry. He's alive. He's alive. 